Welcome to the Customer Experience Management Podcast, hosted by Anders Gustafsson and Carlos Velasco. In this episode, Carlos interviews Dr. Louis Lim about luxury customer experiences. Welcome, everyone, to the Customer Experience Management Podcast. Uh, we are in Season 3, and today we have a very, very special guest, uh, uh, he is not only a person that I have admired for a few years, but he is also a good friend that I have had the chance to to you know share many spaces with. Um, today we're going to be talking about luxury customer experiences, and our guest is Professor Louis Lim. He's a very accomplished associate professor of marketing practice and academic director of the Nanjiang Professional MBA program at Nanjiang Business School. He holds a PhD and a Master's of Business from Indiana University in the U.S. and has a Bachelor of Business Administration from the National University of Singapore. Quite interestingly for many of our listeners, and similar to my, my own background, prior to academia, Luis had uh, several experiences in industry. For example, as a product manager and steel trader at BHP um, Steel Asia, and he worked in Africa Sales Department of Sony International. Uh, Singapore Limited. He also has a great passion for teaching, and and, and it's uh, likely that you know one of the reasons why we're here is because we had a very nice conversation uh, when I was visiting Singapore a few months ago, and he was telling me about his courses on luxury marketing, and you know I was quite impressed by the level of innovation and the sort of uh, you know approach that he had to teaching this subject. So in teaching, he typically specializes in marketing strategy courses, and he's an expert in simulation-based teaching and other instruction methods. And of course, he has also been implementing several innovations in the context of luxury marketing education. He has received 10 teaching awards between 2010 and 2022, which of course, you know, it's a recognition on the level of investment and innovation that he's putting into his courses. Uh, last but not least, Luis uh, has conducted research on competitive marketing strategy and other marketing management topics, and very relevant and very interesting for me as well, he continues his consulting, executive education, and pro bono advisory work, which gives him a very, very nice you know, space to integrate concepts from academia and practice and to kind of like not only teach them, but also use them in consulting projects. So, Luis, it is a pleasure for me to welcome you, and uh, yeah, welcome to the podcast, and yeah, please expand on 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 your background and your interests. Oh, thank, thank you, Carlos. Uh, thank you for the very flattering introduction. Uh, uh, it's, it's it's a great pleasure to be on your show. Um, you know, uh, uh, when we caught up uh, a few months ago in Singapore, um, it was so nice uh, to see you again because. Uh, it had been uh, several years uh, since the last time I met you in Singapore. Um, and uh, at the time, uh, if you recall, uh, I was even trying to hire you for my research institute. Yes. And, uh, and of course, you made a better choice uh, by going to BI. And um, it was uh, such a you know, uh, uh, pleasure for me to see that you have done so well over the years. And, um, and, and it was uh, very nice to uh, be invited on your show. Uh, 
Yeah, and um, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, I, I teach a range of classes. Uh, the topic of luxury marketing is uh, really just a recent passion. Um, I have uh, started this course only about uh, two years ago. Uh, I'm still uh, pretty much uh, learning uh, about the whole world of luxury. Uh, through teaching this course, uh, I, I have uh, gained uh, quite a lot of connections with different companies, different brands, and uh, uh, enjoyed the support of uh, many uh, brand sponsors. And, um, and this has given me a, a very uh, rich uh, uh, set of insights. Um, and today, uh, I'm happy to be sharing with you some insights that I have gained. Uh, I am no, I'm, I'm by no means uh, any authority on the subject, uh, still uh, learning from everyone, um, but happy to share uh, uh, any knowledge that I know. Definitely. And I'm actually super excited to hear about many of the stories that, that you have, uh, you know, like when, when, well, first I have to say something and is that, you know, like that time in Singapore was so enriching for me and I learned so much from you guys. That is just so, so great for me to be able to go back, you know, and, and, and you know, of course, see you and interact with you and, yeah. uh, and everything. And and one of the things that really caught my attention is you know this approach to teaching that you have, uh, in which you know, well, you have been teaching this this course for a couple of years, let's say, but the way in which you integrate you know brands into your course and that you go and talk to them, you know, like you mentioned, so many brands that you have talked to in the context of luxury. Which really, you know, gives you an a, an insider view of what is going on in the in the world of luxury, right? And 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 this is something that I'm that I'm quite interested in because, you know, in many cases, uh, you know, you see student evaluations and, and and the way in which students react to classes and 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 what I have seen is that in many cases they say, you know, conceptually classes are good, but the practice part, right? Where is it? Mm. And, and I think from all this, the conversations we had, I got this very nice idea of how you're doing it, you know, and I think this is something that many of us can learn from. But let's, let's, let's start from the very, very, very beginning, you know, and the, the, the basics. So what is a luxury brand? And, and how are these brands different from other kinds of brands? That is a great question to uh, begin this conversation with. Uh, it is, in fact, uh... A very important question and also a very difficult question to, to answer. Uh, it's one of the first questions that uh, uh, I, I start my, my course with. Um, what is a luxury brand uh, is um, always subjective, right? Um, uh, it's always, you know, the definition is always shaped by, uh, you know, different people's expectations uh, as well as societal uh, expectations as well. Uh, you know, uh, there was this recent episode in Singapore uh, uh, that that um, that uh, has created this uh, this this very sensitive situation now, where um, you could call any brand a luxury brand, and nobody is supposed to uh, to oppose uh, what you oh, say. Oh wow. So, so this uh, this very interesting episode. Um, so there was uh, this young lady, seventeen years old, uh, whose father had bought her uh, a bag. Right, that was um, the bag was of the Charles and Keith brand, and of course, if 
you've been in Singapore, you might know that uh, Charles and Keith is not an expensive brand, right? The, the, the bag costs something like $80 Singapore dollars, uh, which is uh, pretty affordable. Um, but she, she was obviously very delighted uh, when she got the bag and she went on this TikTok uh, video um, to, you know, uh, feature herself unwrapping or unboxing this uh, this new Charles and Keith bag that she got from her dad. Um, and, and in the TikTok video, she referred to this bag as her first luxury bag. Um, and then what happened was uh, a few of the um, the the the, uh, the people on TikTok uh, made comments, uh, made very nasty comments about you know how she was ignorant about luxury and uh, how she sh uh, somebody should have told her that Charles and Keith uh, wasn't a luxury brand and and so on and so forth. Um, but she responded very well to all the comments um she she basically uh you know told her a life story and um uh, made the case that uh what a luxury brand is uh is really in the eyes of uh the person holding it and uh for someone with a background you know she she didn't didn't have uh she didn't come from a a well-to-do family um the fam family had a hard time you know uh, dealing with uh, you know all, all the high cost of living and so on and so forth. So even a, an eighty dollar bag uh, was considered luxury to her, um, and she won a lot of praises, uh, you know, across all segments of the society at the time. And uh, she, in fact, became quite famous in Singapore, um, and um, and so everybody wow. was celebrating, you know, the new definition of luxury then. Right, uh, that that you know, it, it's not about how expensive it is, uh, how well recognized it is, or how um, uh, how how some rich people will be carrying it. Right, it's it's about how you define it. Right. Um. But but yeah. So uh. Anyway, it, it, uh. The the definition of luxury uh is now quite subjective. Uh. Uh. As you know. Um, but I think one thing that is very important that um, I emphasize in my class, uh, the first thing that uh, we need to know about luxury marketing is that the luxury brand uh, refers to the brand, not the product. Okay, hmm. so, uh, so I'll tell you another story. So there was uh, this car that was introduced by Volkswagen in the early 2000, I think it was 2002, uh, Volkswagen, um, as you know, uh, Volkswagen is a German brand and uh, the word Volkswagen in German uh, uh, stands for people's car. Okay, so it's, it's a, a car for everyone, right? It's a car for ordinary people. Um, for one reason or another, Volkswagen uh, decided in the, the late 1990s uh, to develop this top-of-the-line car uh, that would be equivalent or even better than the Mercedes S-Class, the BMW 7 Series, uh, oh, even wow. uh, Audi A8 from its uh, sister brand. Uh, the Volkswagen Group owns many different brands. 
right? And um, and then the the the, the car was a, a, a top of the line product, right? It had a very uh, powerful engine, right? Very high spec engine. It had all the uh, carefully chosen materials. You know, it was uh, fitted with uh, the best components. Uh, it was even handcrafted. Uh, Volkswagen had built a, a separate factory to um, to 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 hand assemble. They hired um, craftsmen, a very skilled technician, to hand assemble all the parts. So it was a handcrafted car. Um, but then, uh, you know, when the car was launched, uh, it became the butt of all jokes uh, because uh, you know the Volkswagen brand itself was not considered, you know, in the leads of... Uh, you know, so it was kind of like, a, like yeah. a semantic contradiction in a way, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. So, um, so obviously the, uh, the car didn't sell well, right? Uh, and, and despite having a very good product, nobody could dispute that uh, the product wasn't, you know, equivalent to... Uh, Brands like Mercedes Benz and, and so on and so forth, uh, but uh, the the fact was that um, the, uh, the 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 Volkswagen brand couldn't claim itself to be luxury because of the way it's positioned in the market as a people's brand, as a brand for everyone, as a brand for uh, people from all walks of life, right? So um, so so this uh, this tells you that um, a luxury brand. Uh, needs to be marketed at the luxury level. Um, uh, the focus should be more on the brand rather than the product that it's it's selling. And obviously, uh, the product has to be of a certain quality, right? Uh, we can't have uh, something that sells, you know, more expensive than uh, ordinary brand and uh, the, the product. Keeps breaking down and so on and so forth, but um, but but uh, the investment needs to be on the brand, right? Uh, and and I think there are a few uh, indicators that a brand you know would be uh, recognized as as luxury, right? In common understanding. Uh, so first of all, uh, uh, the 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 brand is uh, a brand that you know, people would know and would respect, right? Uh, you know, if you look at a brand like Rolex, right? People instantly recognize the brand. Uh, Rolex, you know, as a watch, um, people know that this is a, a, a watch that is not cheap. Uh, they, it, it is a good watch and it is a watch that, uh, it is a brand that would retain its value. Right. So there is this, uh, you know, um, this, this, this common and widespread uh, recognition that uh, this, this brand is worth the money, right? Um, and it is uh, also something... Which is, which, which is in, in a way, what you were saying is when it's recognized, yeah. it's the subject that values yes, 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 the yeah. brand, right? Yeah, so 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 people know, right? People can tell, right? Uh, and sometimes even just by, you know, the the, the appearance of the logo itself or uh, some iconic 
designs of the brand, uh, even by standing, you know, a, a few meters away, uh, you could instantly tell that that is, uh, you know, that's good stuff, right? Um, and, and more than just knowing and recognizing, it is something that people crave for, people have desire for. Uh, so uh, take, the, uh, take the example of the MS Birkenbeck, right? Um, you can't just, you can't walk into an Hermes boutique with lots of money and uh, tell them that you want an Hermes bag, right? You, you have to, uh, you have to wait for it, right? You, you have to be, uh, you have to be recognized as someone the brand will want to do business with uh, before you would be allocated a bag. Um, it is in short supply. And of course, according to the company, uh, they don't deliberately create this scarcity situation. They would, uh, uh, they, they, the reason why there is uh, more demand than supply is that uh, it takes very long to make uh, the product. Right? And, um, and, and every piece is, uh, is, is, is something, uh, a work out of a very skilled craftsmanship. Right. Um, so, so, uh, so it is something that people would uh, aspire to own, right? And uh, it may take some time for you to actually acquire it. Right? Uh, and of course, the reason for that is that um, it is special, right? So uh, going back to the MS example, um, we've had a chance to interact with the MS people when they were here in Singapore for their sustainability exhibition. We had a, a huge exhibition in Singapore showcasing uh, the craft of uh, making leather goods, uh, MS leather goods by their artisans. Um, uh, every single piece of uh, their products, you know, from the handbags to, uh, to, to the, um, you know, even the horse saddles and the gloves and the scarves and everything, uh, every single piece, is handmade by uh, typically a single artisan, a single craftsman uh, who would uh, would be responsible for their work uh, from beginning to the end. Right, and 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 I'm probably a very specialized kind of like uh, specialized oh, yes. and you know like unique way of crafting it, right? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, so so the skills that. Um, had to be developed and accumulated for a long time, right? Hmm. And, uh, and 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 these uh, craftsmen would be working, you know, uh, usually under, you know, not, I mean, it's not easy work, right? Imagine sewing the leather, right? Uh, uh, every single thread that you, you know, uh, you, you sew. Time, yeah. time demanding, right? Um, from a very skillful person. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so, so there is this uh, craftsmanship involved, um, and that also speaks to the the passion of the people behind the brand. Uh, it is not, you know, a uh, typically, uh, uh, especially if you talk about the the, the, the upper levels of luxury. Uh, typically, these are not uh, automated manufacturing operations. Um, hmm. it's, it's not like 
which is quite interesting. It's quite interesting. I was I was in in, in Japan as as we we chat earlier, and and one of the things that I was wondering was about you know the difference between like automated sushi restaurants, the ones that are using robots, and the yes, ones that are yes, using yes. a chef. And one of the yes. things that struck me was that you know if you want something special, you won't go to the automated sushi restaurant in Japan. Uh, however, yeah. if you want to eat something quickly, you know, to to pass through it, uh, of course, then you use, you know, like the the, the automated robot that's based sushi, which talks yeah. about something or the expertise, what you were saying, like the expertise and the passion behind the process of creating. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, so, uh, so if, if you notice that functionally, the luxury product uh, may not be much different from the, uh, you know, the, the ordinary one, right? Uh, between the a handmade sushi and uh, one that you grab from the conveyor belt, uh, uh -huh. in terms of functional value, uh, all it does is it fills your stomach, right? I mean, exactly. Uh, you know, whichever one uh, will be able to fill your stomach. Um, but uh, but the, the value, right? The, uh, what is worth to the consumer who is taking out the money to pay for it, right? Uh, it, it, it's very different, right? And, and it's because of this uh, very subjective evaluation of the worth of what you're getting, right? Hmm. Um, uh, and, and, and also uh, how much you appreciate it. Uh, also influenced by, you know, what people saying when you're able to get it right yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly uh, because of all these factors um the luxury brand is uh, is priced a lot higher it's able to command that kind of price premium right um, which are, I, mean, like, I really that aspect, right uh, mm -hmm. uh all it does is contain things right uh mm -hmm. between the bag and then Charles and Keith bag that I spoke about, uh, the $80 one in Singapore. Uh, functionally, there's no difference. Right? But, exactly. Uh, but what are you buying when you're paying, you know, tens of thousands of, of dollars uh, and waiting like, you know, over a year or even longer uh, to get one piece? Uh, hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all these things, right? It's the, the recognition, the craftsmanship, uh, and also the, um, the the opportunity to associate yourself with uh, you know the brand uh, uh, with its all its heritage, you know its its pedigree and so on. So it's like you belong to an exclusive club of uh, people who uh, mm -hmm. own these products, right? Yeah. So uh, so these are some of the indicators of what. Uh, a luxury brand uh, would be, yeah. But of course, that makes, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. no, that makes absolute sense. And I really like uh, the that you bring up this idea of the functional value, right? That is not enough for a luxury brand, and 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 this reminds me of the some of the research on you know how people value market offers, and typically what they say is things like you know uh, uh, value is multidimensional, right? So you could have the functional value of something, which is what we talked yeah. about. You can have the monetary value of something. You can have the emotional value of something, the social value of something, 
And and yeah. and you know, as a, a, for a luxury brand, it's not enough just to say you know the functional value is high because it serves a purpose. You know, many other brands can serve that purpose, but in the emotional and the social value, which which is kind of like what I'm getting that you were saying, um, yeah. uh, it's where the, the the luxury brand is constructed, right? In things like you know. People need to see subjectively that this is a luxury brand. So it needs to come from their own mind side, let's say. It's not the yeah. product. The product could be of high quality, but the brand might not necessarily be luxury. The Volkswagen uh, example. It's also a brand that typically is recognized that you have good knowledge about. And that knowledge is kind of like this complex uh, world of how it is made, you know, and the, the history and stuff like that. It's a brand that you crave for that is typically scarce, right? That is not necessarily mm. fully available to 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 everyone, but it's not necessarily because the, the there are marketers, you know, just manipulating yeah. the scarcity. You know, it's because there is a good reason behind it, an authentic reason, which is it's difficult to produce, which makes it yeah. special, and and at the same time is something that is typically created with lots of expertise, passion, and that gives you the ability to associate with it and therefore transfer some of those values to you as a person. Is that something like I summarize yes, more or less? Yes, yes, that's a fantastic summary. Yeah, and and that subjective part, uh, if I may add, uh, it's not just uh, the individual uh, consumer's subjective evaluation of the brand. It's it's also a function of, you know, all the peer influence, the uh, the evaluations of, uh, you know, the the people around you. Uh, even people you don't know exactly. on social media and so on and so forth. Um, if everybody uh, regards, you know, one particular model or one particular bag, uh, one particular watch as, you know, uh, iconic, uh, then the value of that will go up and that will influence your evaluation. Appreciation, right? Uh, it's multi-way. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, even just uh, the, uh, uh, the, for example, the color of it, right? Um, take watches, for instance. Uh, there are certain models of watches that are already uh, iconic, like the, uh, the Patek Philippe Nautilus, right? But a blue dial Nautilus of a particular model, right? Um, is this particular? Particular model uh, 5711, uh, 5711, uh, that has been discontinued, but uh, at the time, uh, you know, there's just a huge demand for it. Um, but the blue dial version was, uh, was the most uh, uh, craved for, right? You could get any other color, that, but the blue dial one um, would be the hardest to get. And, uh, and, and in the secondary market, uh, usually for luxury products, you know, uh, the moment you get it from the, the retail store, the official channel, uh, there will be this uh, huge uh, uh, secondary market or the black market, right? the, uh, the, the unofficial market, uh, where you, you would see how the value differs across the different models. And so, um, so, so the blue down model would usually fetch a higher price on the secondary market. There would be more people who would, uh, who would want it. Um, same thing goes with uh, the Rolex Daytona watch. Be between the black dial and the white dial, 
uh, one of them would uh, be worth more, uh, even though they are exactly the same watch. So, um, so, so, so these are little things that um, that matter to the value. Um, that is super interesting and is what you're saying in a way it's uh, that the subjective part is not necessarily to the individual level but it's yes. actually an, a sort of like collective agreement you know on 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 what's the value that it's assigned as a function of course as how the brand is positioned but but that's uh, yeah there needs to be some sort of like explicit or implicit agreement you know between consumers as to what is yes. valuable right exactly uh, exactly yeah. Louis, um, uh, yeah, let's. Um, yeah, please, please. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I was just going to add uh, uh, another point um, is that, you know, the, the, the classification of the luxury brand, there are also different levels. Right? There are, of course, uh, brands that are ultra luxury, right? Um, they are super expensive. And some of these brands um, may not be very. Uh, very well known to the ordinary uh, consumers, right? Um, uh, the guy on the street um, may not ever know a perfume brand called Amafi, for example. Um, but a bottle of Amafi perfume uh, easily costs like something like four thousand right? dollars. Um, so that's wow, that's ultra yeah. luxury. And that's, that's of course then you know uh, high luxury and uh, and then mass luxury uh, and then um, affordable luxury um, mm -hmm. and so um, so so there are different shades to to luxury, course, which as, you know like uh, talk, talk, talking talking about the 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 perf the perfume brands you know I just have this memory which uh, of of a project that I did when I started my PhD which basically yeah. you know, adds up to what you were saying in which a very very luxury brand a perfume luxury brand in England sent us a sample of one of their products I think it was like a five thousand pound perfume or something like that and they told us tested you know and this is a very very complex difficult to produce perfume and we did you know the classical thing that we sometimes do in some experiments a blind test and uh, yes, a test with, yes. with the brand and it was quite intriguing that you know we, when we presented the unbranded perfume many people would say like oh this smells like my grandmother oh this smells like maybe like a toilet product but then when we added the brand to the package the other group of people yeah, they yeah. started saying like this is such a complex perfume with coconut notes you know with this which is which you know is like Sometimes, I guess, and this is kind of like a general insight from marketing, which is that, you know, sometimes people with products are a little bit clueless, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it, yeah. it is the brand, right? The whole effort yeah. that you put into the brand. Yeah, you know, I, I, I did uh, a similar experiment, a uh, very casual experiment in my class, the luxury marketing class. Uh, you know, every week we have, we have different topics, but uh, in the week when we are discussing luxury fragrances, uh, every semester... I would bring from my home a few bottles mm -hmm. of uh, of fragrances. Uh, there will be one. I don't have a four thousand dollar perfume. We have one that's maybe uh, four or five hundred dollars, and then uh, there's some cheaper ones, and then the cheapest one is uh, this really dirt cheap uh, twenty dollar per bottle. So maybe four, mm -hmm. three or four different bottles. Um, and I would get the tester strips, 
and and um, and then I will get a group of students to uh, basically spray the the tester strips with different fragrances, and let the rest of the class guess uh, which fragrance uh, is for which brand, right? So they would wow. the they would they would be told you know some are more expensive some than the others, um, without fail. Every semester, the students will get the, the answers wrong. Um, will get <laughs> that is uh, It's quite expensive. And then um, and the one that I bought, I paid $500 for. Uh, they would think that it's only $20. And so, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Which it's so di yes. direct evidence for what you were saying. You know, it's like, it, it is the brand, right? You Of course, you cannot be a luxury a luxury brand without an excellent product, but an excellent product does not guarantee a luxury brand. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, of course, there are you know different product categories with uh, with right. fragrances. It's it's a lot more subjective than mm -hmm. with uh, you know a product like a car, right? Where there are technical mm -hmm. things that you can evaluate. There are engineering specifications. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so so uh, you know, even among the luxury products, you know, there are different categories uh, that would have different, you know, dif dif different uh, luxury characteristics. All right, yeah, that makes absolute sense, Louis. There is something that you have been already kind of like answering and and sort of implying in in your in your uh, definitions, uh, but let's try to put this in a in a few sentences, which is. Uh, how is the luxury customer experience you know broadly mm. speaking you know how is that defined and i guess relative to brands that are not luxury like what what is special about the luxury customer experience right so i i think the most important uh difference the the, the differentiating factor is uh the high human touch that uh, the luxury brand uh, is able to offer in its customer service. Uh, so if you are buying something and if you're paying a lot more for the uh, mm. product, uh, you know, it's also about, you know, the, the customer's expectation that, uh, you know, somebody would be there to, to serve you, right? And to give you the, the VIP kind of uh, feel. Right. Um, hmm. Of course, depending on the level of luxury, the, uh, the, the, the human touch will be different. But um, uh, typically, right, comparing between a luxury brand and a non-luxury brand, uh, in, in the case of a non-luxury brand, you know, the purchase experience would be uh, uh, a lot more transactional. Right? It would be, hmm. um, you know, you go to the store, you pay the money, and then the, you get the product, and uh, you go home. Uh, mm -hmm. Whereas uh, for a luxury brand, for instance, if you were to get a Patek Philippe watch, uh, first of all, uh, you you cannot just walk into a Patek Patek Philippe boutique and uh, mm -hmm. you know bring lots of money to uh, to get uh, one of those iconic watches. Uh, usually, they make you wait for a long time. Right, and then um, and and when the day comes uh, that uh, the watch is you know available, right? Um, you would they would make a special appointment for you uh, 
they would invite you to the boutique when you would come in and uh, they would uh, warmly welcome you. Uh, there will be a, a, a room where you know you get seated and sometimes they will serve you with uh, champagne. Uh, there'll be a lot of small talk about you know the whole process of uh, securing this piece and 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 there'll be a lot of uh, there'll be a lot of uh, you know celebration going on. Right. Um, so the, the store makes you feel special and feel happy that you are finally uh, getting this piece, right? And um, and then the piece is brought out. You know, uh, typically the uh, the service staff will be wearing uh, a pair of gloves. You know, it'll be uh, opening the, the the box and the packaging in a very careful manner. You know, everything's kind of uh, handled in a very uh, in, in a very special manner. Uh, and it's done in a slow way so that, uh, you know, you can really uh, uh, savor every moment of it, right? Um, and then finally, the watch is uh, handed to you and it's, it's put on your wrist. And then there'll be a lot of picture taking and, and so on and so forth. Everybody congratulates you. Uh, and um, and then and then you get all the documents and uh, the, the certificates and everything. Uh, so the whole process is to make you feel, you know, you you you've come a long way, right? Uh, uh, this has been a, a very um, difficult journey uh, to to kind of get this uh, particular piece. Uh, and then, um, and then you are enjoying, right? Um, even the store is uh, celebrating for you uh, that you are getting it, right? So, so it's it's always made to be a special moment. Um, of course, not, you know, uh, you 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 don't get that just uh, with Patek Philippe. There are many different brands that would try to offer uh, this kind of a VIP high human touch kind of experience. Um, even um, uh, small independent brands. Um, I recently had uh, my shoes. Um, I have. I do have a collection of uh, leather shoes, and after a while, as you know, if you don't wear them, you know, uh, they start to collect dust and mold in the in the cupboard and everything. So um, I decided uh, recently to to take them to a a shoe polish shop. And this is not just you know any shoe shine bar with uh, a guy just running cloth over your shoe. Um, there are two uh, uh, highly skilled um, shoe shine specialists. Uh, these two, uh, they are Singaporeans. Uh, they have won the world championship in shoe shining in some international competition. Wow. So, so, so the shop in Singapore is called Mason and Smith. Um, so the founder, uh, he he was one of the, he was a champion in one of the years, and then um, uh, in the following year, uh, his staff uh, became champion as well, uh, trained by him. Right. So, um, so, so your shoes will be sent in to these Shushan champions. Right, who, who would you know take in and inspect your shoes and uh, would uh, uh, advise you on what to do, right? Uh, what kind of shine will be involved and what kind of uh, 
what kind of treatment uh, would be given to the shoes. Uh, it's not so straightforward. There will be a lot of, um, it was almost an educational experience, right? Uh, part of it is about uh, appreciating, you know, the whole product and the, the complexity uh, of the of the task, I yes, guess, as well, yes. right? And, and, and so there's craftsmanship, and then you, as a customer, actually participate in um, getting to know the craft too, right? And so that you appreciate more, right? And um, and, and they would they would of course, uh, you know, uh, take down the record of uh, everything that you sent in. Uh, and they told me that uh, I don't have to bother coming in to pick up the shoes. They would deliver the shoes to me. Um, and then finally, yesterday, the, after about three weeks, the shoes came back, delivered direct, directly to my home. They came in a big box. Uh, the box would contain all the shoes. Uh, and it's amazing how they pack the, the box. Each shoe, I'm not talking about each pair, each, each side would be individually wrapped with a nice, you know, cloth cover, right? And there'll be the, the bubble wrapped and so on. Uh, so imagine a whole box of shoes. I had nine pairs that were delivered back. Uh, the whole box of that uh, would, would have all the shoes and I would unpack, you know, each one of them. And the process uh, was quite, uh, at least to me, it was quite exciting. Right? I, was, I was quite eager to see, you know, once I open up and remove the shoes from the cloth covering and so on, how the shoes would look. And without fail, when I opened each one, it was just, you know, I was so impressed. Right? Uh, uh, they will be shined uh, beautifully to the right degree. You know, different colors, different style, different grades of leather would have different levels of shine. And, uh, for example, with a black pair of uh, Oxford shoes, uh, it would be mirror shine, right? You could see your teeth uh, <laughs> on the shoes. Uh, yeah. But, but with, uh, with brown shoes, uh, you know, it would be uh, shine to a less lesser degree uh, to reflect its character. Um, so, uh, so, 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 all that experience is not necessarily in the store. It could be after, right? Um, yeah, as we know, the the customer experience journey is is a long one. It's not just at the point of transaction. Um, it's it's before, it's during, it's it's long after. Uh, and the the human touch element is kind of always there, right? Um, so. Uh, through the journey, you know, you would be feeling like, you know, someone is there to personally assist you. Right? Um, yeah, and, and even when I received the, the box of shoes at my home, with no one physically around me, I could feel that, uh, you know, uh, the person who wrapped the shoes must, must have taken a lot of effort, right? Uh, it's not mm -hmm. easy to... You know, pack everything and uh, do it so nicely. Yeah, so I think that's what separates uh, the customer experience at a luxury brand from that at a non-luxury brand. 
that is a that is a, a wonderful example and and i think you you did a a very very nice job on you know kind of like almost poetic in, in kind of like describing the journey that you had with this brand right like multiple different touch points throughout it many with which have this human touch part that you were ta talking about that is you know is like there is another human that has probably a very very deep expertise on the issue that you are dealing with that is putting an effort in delivering you the best possible outcome out of the possibilities that are out there which i guess you know this this takes us to the next question which which i had for you which is you know, uh, we were talking about the human touch part, right? And now we're in this yeah. context of digital transformations, you know, and, and digitization yeah. and stuff, uh, which is, I guess, one of the changes that we see now. Uh, many people looking into automation, but I guess, you know, many brands, in, even even if they're automating some of their processes, you know, like the luxury part is still the human touch, right? Mm -hmm. So so I guess my, my question would be, what are some of the key challenges and opportunities that you think the, uh, like, like, luxury marketers are facing today yeah yeah so so uh so related to the human touch element right so therein lies the challenge right so if you're a luxury brand uh you know that you know the the human touch is what the customer is paying for right uh not just the, the product or the transaction um you would have to have uh uh, to make uh, investment in the the service side of things, right? With your brand, right? You, you would have to uh, make sure that uh, you know the sales associate or the, the the service advisor, whoever has the interface with the the consumer, uh, would be able to deliver you know a, a superior service uh, to match the expectations of the uh, the consumer. Um, but then these are all human beings, right? Uh, and uh, and the 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 um, you know the 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 staff that uh, any luxury brand uh, would hire, you know, they are not robots, right? They they cannot uh, be exactly identical. So one of the biggest challenges uh, for any luxury brand is to uh, is how you can ensure consistent levels of service uh, with human resources that are you know by nature mobile by nature erratic right by nature uh, you know diverse right um, and if you're a global brand that that actually compounds the problem because uh, the, the level of service actually would have to be consistent across all the different markets in the world, uh, uh, how to, to ensure that is one of the biggest challenges that um, uh, all luxury brands face. And, um, uh, whilst they will have the standard, you know, training manuals, uh, the, the standard training program, and uh, they will have uniform and, you know, SOP protocols and so on and so forth. Uh, there's just no way you can ensure that uh, this salesperson that you meet in Oslo uh, will be exactly, will be providing the exact same level of service uh, in the person you meet uh, in Bangkok, for example. Right? Uh, there will always invariably be some differences. Uh, 
compounding to that, brands uh, distribute their products through different channels. Um, so uh, if you're you know, a high luxury brand, you could afford to only rely on your uh, brand operated boutiques, right? So every one of the staff who serves the customer is an employee of the brand. So, uh, so there is you know, a high level of high degree of control uh, on the service standards. Uh, even even you know, despite the, the differences uh, across markets and so on and so forth, at least you know, there's an employment contract right, to, to govern the, uh, the kind of expectations that you have on the service employee. Um, but most luxury brands uh, will have to, because of you know, sales targets and uh, market share uh, objectives and so on, they would have to distribute through different channels. Uh, they would have to rely on third-party retailers or distributors and then go through different layers, different intermediaries. Uh, so a brand, for example, like Mont Blanc, uh, Mont Blanc, uh, uh, most known for its uh, writing instruments, but Mont Blanc is also selling a, you know, a variety of different products like watches, uh, like like leather goods, luggage bags, uh, perfumes, sunglasses, cufflinks, you name it. Right? Uh, so Mont Blanc as a brand is distributed across a variety of different channels. You you find Mont Blanc in department stores. You find uh, department stores with mostly selling you know leather goods. Right? You find Mont Blanc in multi-brand uh, watch retail shops. Okay, uh, so, so Mont Blanc watches. Uh, you find Mont Blanc in uh, stationary stores uh, for their writing instruments, uh, selling multiple brands. Uh, you find Mont Blancs in some beauty, beauty shops, right, selling perfumes and so on and so forth. And each of these is a very different kind of retail shop with different sales personnel. Uh, how are you going to maintain, you know, the same kind of service standards. Uh, Consistency, so right? Marketing. Yeah, we, we, we strive to achieve omni-channel excellence, right? Omni-channel meaning, you know, regardless of the channel, uh, the, uh, there is this level of consistency and how the, uh, the customer experiences the brand would be the same, right, across different channels. But there's just no way for, uh, the luxury brands to ensure the same thing um, because you're dealing with the third party. The third party is most likely also uh, retailing other brands at the same time. Right? The incentives for the salesperson, say at a multi-brand luxury watch store selling Mont Blanc watches, at the same time that salesperson can be selling Omega, Cartier, Tudor, Longines, uh, uh, you name it, right? All the different brands, right? Uh, what is the incentive for the person to speak favorably for your brand? Uh, think in a differentiated it. manner, right? Among all these, manner. yeah. Yeah, so if you're a brand that is um, not quite as strong 
uh, you know, compared to you know the leading brands, this salesperson would have to uh, expend a lot more effort to try and sell your product to the, the shoppers, right? whoever that walks mm. into the um, so uh, I, I, I shan't name the brands, but um, just, you know, you're, you're a brand X and uh, you're not that well-known, right? you're, you're not at that level. Uh, the salesperson might have to uh, maybe spend half an hour to convince a shopper to buy your brand, whereas uh, the salesperson could just spend two minutes uh, just to move mm. uh, uh, a much more well-recognized brand like uh, Omega and Rolex and, and so on. Uh, so guess, you know, which brand the salesperson will support, right? Uh, even yes. the retailer, right? So, um, so these are things that uh, are very difficult for luxury brands to, um, to manage, right? Um, the, 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 the variation, the variability of the human service factor. Touch aspect. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, the multi-channel uh, kind of distribution uh, system that uh, most luxury brands would have to, um, to manage. Um, so, so, so these are some challenges. There are also many other challenges. Uh, uh, usually, um, uh, in every luxury sector, there would be every... every luxury category, uh, there would also be uh, very entrenched positions of the market leaders. Take handbags, for instance. Right? The leading handbag brands, uh, you know, over time, uh, even for a prolonged period of time and across different markets, uh, typically it would be uh, MS, Louis Vuitton, Chanel, right? Um, maybe Gucci, right? And yeah, so so there'll be these top brands that would occupy maybe uh maybe collectively something like 20-25% of the market share. And then all the other brands uh would have to fight for the remaining market share. And uh and, and across different categories, you, you notice a very consistent pattern. Uh, the entrenched brands uh, would stay strong for a long time. Um, they would have a high market share, uh, whereas uh, the other brands are all uh, uh, having you know, very fragmented kind of positions. Right? Uh, sometimes the market share is even something like a single digit, uh, even 1% or half a percent or 0.1%. Right? So, um, so when you have this kind of situation, uh, the dynamics of the markets is such that uh, you know all of these other brands, um, uh, because they are just trying to to get sales, right? Uh, just trying to get to become more known than the others. Uh, they start to imitate one another's strategy. So, so uh, even in the luxury sector, you know, there's a, a fair degree of commoditization. Right. Hmm. Uh, in the sense that, you know, uh, every brand strategies resemble one another. Right? Agree. Um, yeah, and then um, over time, you, you start to, you know, the consumers begin not to be able to tell the difference. Right? Uh, 
Maybe you know it's a different brand, but how different is it? You know, uh, between carrying, say, a a Fendi bag and a uh, a Miu Miu bag or uh, you know a Prada bag and, and and so on and so forth. If you're not one of the top, right? Uh, you know the 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 differentiating factor becomes uh, it, it becomes less prominent, right? Um, and and the luxury market is such that it, it's very hard to change perception. There's the stickiness factor. Hmm. You know what's number one today will be number one for a long time, right? And mm-hmm. uh, if you're mid tier, uh, it's very hard, you know, to uh, to 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 elevate yourself uh, to the top level. Which I guess yeah. speaks back to what you were saying at the beginning. It's the brand, right? So when you have invested the resources in positioning the brand in this in this way as a luxury brand, then then you you got there, right? So of course that doesn't mm. mean that you should stand still, but it means that you have already kind of like reached a positioning that makes you yeah. so special in the marketplace that that gives guarantees in a way, you know, like your your positioning. Um, Luis, this is super interesting. You know, like I, I think I could be. Uh, I have so many questions that I want to to ask you, but I, I know that our time is limited, and yes. um, and, uh, and and it's late in Singapore. By the way, to our listeners, you know, I'm, I'm oh, in no. Colombia yeah. early in the morning, and it's late in in Singapore. Uh, but I do have three more questions, if you don't mind, that I would like to ask you, uh, which which you oh, know, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I'm just very happy to share. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't want to bore your, you know, your audience with, uh, you know, too many. Uh, too Not many at all. This stories. is super interesting. Yeah. Actually, you know, like I, 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 I I'm, I'm feeling that I, I would love to take your course on luxury marketing, <laughs> and, I, and I guess many of our listeners too. So before before I ask you these three final questions, I guess this is a good moment to make a little pause and 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 and, and tell our listeners uh, what would be a good way to contact you. Um, I, I would assume that a good way to contact you if they have further questions or if they would like to to get in touch is through your uh, Nanjing Business yes. School website. At uh, my email at Nanjing Business School, uh, you can simply. Mm-hmm. Uh, look me up, um, Lewis Lim. Uh, um, simply email me at my uh, my work ex- address, my work email address, and um, yeah, I'll be most happy uh, to you know exchange ideas with your listeners. Excellent. So for everyone, uh, Lewis Lim, I will write uh, his uh, university website on the bio of the podcast. And I will also place there the, the email in case you want to get in touch. Uh, I have to say, you know, in, in, in a podcast, we always have limited time. But Luis has so many interesting stories, you know, uh, about luxury, luxury branding. So if you have questions or if you want to know more about the stuff that he's doing, or even if you have projects, you know, I, I'm sure he would be happy to, to hear. Um, Luis, my three final questions. Um, the <laughs> first one that I want to ask you is, you know, we were talking about these challenges and opportunities of the luxury market uh, or, you know, luxury branding as well. And and one of those, I think, uh, relates to changing consumer values, such as, you know, people are, for very good reasons, caring more about sustainability, diversity, inclusion, yes. and ethics. So how, how do luxury markets navigate this? 
Mm. Yes, that, that is uh, super important. Uh, uh, in, in this day and age uh, where, you know, most companies uh, are judged by how well they navigate the, uh, the ESG, uh, you know, environmental, social governance uh, performance, uh, you know, luxury brands will have to uh, be very responsive uh, on, on uh, a lot of these issues. Uh, sustainability for sure, right? Uh, uh, inclusiveness um, and diversity uh, and, and the ethics uh, of doing business. You know, each of these is a different area, right? Um, take sustainability, for instance. Um, you know, sustainability in essence is about, you know, uh, preserving, you know, uh, whatever uh, resources uh, that, that are limited uh, that we have uh, on earth, right? Yeah, essentially, it's about that. Um, the very nature of the luxury trade itself, uh, luxury, uh, you know, by definition, means that, that that product isn't necessary, right? It's not a necessity, right? That is uh, interesting. There's no need for a watch. There's no need for perfumes, right? There's no need for, you know, I mean, you need a bag, but there's no need for uh, a very expensive handbag, right? Um, by nature of, you know, their type of business, the moment they produce something, the moment uh, they bring something out of, their factory, right? Uh, you could already argue that it is it is redundant, it's depleting the resources of the earth. Right? Why do you need another, you know, another piece of thing, right? Uh, that's consuming resources uh, that may be even, you know, uh, disrupting the uh, the entire ecosystem, right? Uh, so so uh, so luxury brands uh, have to be very uh, careful uh, and very 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 skillful in addressing these concerns right uh, so first of all um, they do have to acknowledge that they are in, in the luxury business right uh, whatever they produce uh, is just for it's just to satisfy people's craving right um, so um, so obviously, uh, uh, what they don't want to be doing is to be encouraging excesses, right? Uh, excessive consumption, right? Wasteful consumption. Um, they they would want to present themselves as companies that you know are contributing to uh, to the fulfillment of uh, human desires but in the least damaging way, right? So in the least uh, 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 harmful way, right? So, um, so the, the, the way luxury companies have to manage this uh, is really is to demonstrate um, how they are able to cut wastage, right? To, to preserve resources, uh, preserve materials. Uh, and to 
able to ensure that their, their products are something that uh, people can use for a long time. Right? In fact, that is um, the kind of uh, message that a brand like, say, MS uh, would, be, would be conveying, right? Uh, we, we, we are a more sustainable brand because, you know, uh, our products, uh, the way that we are made, uh, we are making the product uh, is uh, we ensure that there is minimal wastage, right? There's very careful, it's very skillful use of the material, right? Many of the materials are actually byproducts of other uh, production processes, right? Um, so we are able to create these beautiful things uh, that make life uh, uh, a, a, a lot more, you know, uh, a lot more enjoyable, right? Um, with minimal wastage, minimal damage to the environment. And we also are able to uh, uh, make the product last for a long time. Uh, we also commit to repairing uh, anything that is that is damaged. Uh, Which correct then, correct me if I'm yeah. if I'm wrong, uh, Louis. But I think one of the the advantages, of course, of buying a luxury product is that you know the, the of course the quality is so high yeah. that it's actually yes. a, a, a product that is going to last, right? So in a way, <laughs> you know that perhaps there is like a like a hidden optimization process in terms of sustainability, which is that you will not be buying this product over and over again, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So so if you compare between. Uh, a luxury fashion brand uh, like Dior or like uh, you know uh, like like Prada and so on Gucci right uh, they sell clothes they sell jackets right compare that to the fast fashion companies like H and M hmm. and uh, you know uh, Uniqlo Sara yeah and so on that sell by the volumes right. Um, I mean, who is more guilty <laughs> of depleting resources, right? Um, uh, so on the one hand, luxury by definition is that it's not necessary, right? Hmm. You don't need uh, these luxury stuff. Um, the act of producing something already is depleting resources. Right? Um, but you could also argue the other way, right? That uh, that that uh, you know these fast fashion companies, uh, you know, even though they are supposedly selling necessity, but by selling more, right, the, there will be a lot more harm to the environment. So, yeah, you know, like yeah, I have a I have an example on this. I was in when I when I arrived in Norway. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. like I did the, the thing that many people do. I just went and bought and bought a random winter jacket. But then that yes. winter jacket didn't last for the first year, the second year, you know? <laughs> so my my concern was then, okay, what should I do? And then I started looking what Norwegians do. And is they, they say, you know, you should invest in a high-end winter jacket, yeah. right? Not only because it's going to give you the comfort, you know, and all these uh, yeah. other attributes that you might expect, but it's one that is going to last <laughs> and yes, it's going to yeah, de yeah. deplete less resources in one way. That's so, right. yeah. Yeah. And you never have to throw it away because the moment you throw it away, uh, the disposal process could harm the environment, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. But, you know, whatever material that's in there, it may not be biodegradable and, uh, you know, uh, 
because somehow it creates more uh, polluted uh, waste. Uh, hmm. Right. So one yeah. of the things the luxury companies would do, uh, you know, in, in terms of sustainability, is to demonstrate, you know, the the durability, the uh, the minimal wastage of resources, uh, the use, the creative use of. Uh, of of uh, even waste material, right? Hmm. So save a lot of the brands they are using upcycled materials. Uh, so there is this. Um, there are a few watch brands, for example, that would use recycled steel. Uh, of course, they would, they would market it in a very clever way. Uh, so you're actually paying more for recycled steel. Um, so Chopard has. Uh, watches made from um, uh, a certain steel, you know, it's marketed as ethical steel, right? Um, so it's a brand like Panerai. Uh, Hublot, another watch brand, recently had a collaboration with uh, Nespresso. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and the material that they use on the watch is made from recycled Nespresso capsules. Oh, wow. So is that. <laughs> Which also speaks about the expertise, right? It's like they yeah. are experts, you know, and, and creative in kind of like bringing this expertise with kind of like today's challenges, I guess. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, um, so a lot of these efforts that are being pursued by luxury brands. Uh, on ethics, which is a different area, um, you know, it's about, you know, making sure that uh, we don't create unnecessary harm, right? Um, and uh, the process of doing business, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's well governed, right? So in the jewelry trade, for example, right, um, uh, there's a lot of uh, effort um, made by brands into ensuring that the entire supply chain is, uh, is free from, you know, any kind of uh, illegal or uh, uh, immoral traits, right? So diamonds, for mm. example, all heard of the term blood diamond. Got and, it. Um, indeed, the, the the process of mining diamonds is very, you know, it's controversial at best, right? Uh, depending on the kind of the the the, the kind of management practices that uh, the mining companies, right, the miners uh, would would engage. Uh, yeah, so if uh, the, the brand doesn't manage the supply chain well, right, uh, doesn't, you know, take the effort to ensure that uh, the supplies are from ethical sources, uh, then, you know, uh, whatever they sell to the consumers, right, uh, would be unethical. So, so that makes sense. So there is some some sort of element of tr- transparency and and values, right? Uh, mm. Transparency in those values, I guess, from from the side of the the, the luxury yeah, brand. The traceability uh, is of the materials, right? It's it's very important. Great, uh, um, Luis. Yeah, and then- yeah, oh, yeah, um, please. Yeah, on uh, um, inclusiveness, right? Uh, inclusivity. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah uh, that, that's another issue altogether, right? Um, mm. I mean, traditionally, 
you know, the way luxury brands are marketed, you know, uh, it's always favoring a certain, uh, a, a, a certain ethnic group, a certain gender, uh, mm. depending on the category. Um, yeah. Uh, but, but of course, as we know now, the world is demanding that, um, you know, not just luxury brands, all the brands, uh, embrace mm. diversity, right? Uh, which I think it's also good business, right? I mean, if you think about yes, it, because yes. the more inclusive you are, the more market, I guess, you can access in a way. Yes, yes. And you have to do it in a way that it's going to come across as sincere and genuine and not just another marketing campaign. <laughs> which yeah. you do see many of those that are like, you know, it's a little bit forced, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's right, yeah. that's right. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, all right, so the, uh, there are many, many uh, interesting challenges, I guess, that, that luxury brands can can tackle. And, and I guess they, they have, you know, the, the, the sort of like potentially the funds and also the creative power and the expertise to really kind of like through the way they produce, the way they craft their brands, make a difference in terms of, you know, mm -hmm. these different uh, uh, things that we have talked about, ethics, you know, inclusivity, sustainability, diversity, and so on. Um, Luis, I have my, my, my last two questions, I guess, can be can be put together in, into one. And, yeah. and, and the, the question is going to be like, first, how do you teach such an interesting subject? You know, it's like now that you have been teaching it, you know, for, for a while and, and I, 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 you, your, your passion for the subject is contagious, you know, and, and, and this is not the first time. Every time we talk, you know, we share a bit of, of, of the passion for this. Um, so how, how do you go about teaching this? You know, what are some things that you have done with this? And I guess the, the, the second part of the question, which is something that I know that you care a lot for is, what are some mm. practical advices that you give mm. for people that are practicing in here, right? So I guess mm. uh, this is something that you do in your classes. So if maybe we can combine those two. Um, yeah, yeah, I would love yeah. to hear. Yeah. Yes. Um, so so uh, as, as you introduced earlier, uh, I, I don't just teach luxury marketing. I, I teach uh, another set of causes related to marketing strategy. And those are more serious uh, hardcore marketing training kind of causes. Um, so I would use uh, simulations like Markstrat. Uh, I would have a lot of, you know, heavy uh, strategy kind of uh, lessons uh, involved. Um, whereas for luxury marketing, is it's a different uh, market altogether. Um, it is a Friday afternoon class. Um, I've deliberately scheduled it for a Friday afternoon because that's the time when you're winding down uh, for the weekend. Uh, you're in the mood to appreciate, uh, you know, all the finer things in life, right? So, so indeed, this this course is about you know appreciating the finer things in life, um, and uh, it is conducted in a, a very uh, informal, very comfortable, you know, uh, not intense kind of a format. Uh, I want the course to be very experiential, uh, very immersive, immersive, um, because the way to understand, you know, the, 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 the 
intricate aspects of luxury marketing uh, is you cannot understand it by reading textbooks or just listening to the lectures right uh, you have to kind of you know go into deep dives into uh, different topics you have to uh, gain some exposure by you know listening and meeting with someone who is in the trade right so uh, so what i do is uh, very frequently i will have uh, guest speakers uh, from the different trades and uh, I, i'm very blessed to be you know having the support of many of my industry partners uh, when, when i launched this course um, we have all uh, mostly uh, agreed to come to my class uh, either physically or via zoom uh, to to talk to the students to share uh, all the uh, the challenges that they have uh, with their respective brands and you know the the, the way uh, marketing has changed at their re respective companies and um, and to show the students uh, exactly what they do um, so i have invited uh, many many uh, uh, high profile guests i'm very very fortunate to be able to have them um, including regional ceos of brands to uh, you know, uh, marketing directors, vice presidents for marketing, uh, uh, even um, even even founders of uh, uh, smaller brands um, or, or local brands that are regarded as luxury, uh, and 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 also people from the the, the more creative side. Uh, I've I've had um, a fashion designer. Uh, who designs, um, you know, the Chinese Chongsam. Uh, he, he owns a label in Singapore and um, uh, he himself uh, is a tailor for those uh, Chinese Chongsams. And so, um, so, so, so he's able to share about the craft uh, in history. Um, yeah, and, uh, yeah and, and many interesting uh, guests uh, in the class. I also take the students. It must off. be it must be fascinating to be in that class, you know. And 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 I've heard about some of the brands that you bring in, and, and it's it's again, you know, what you say this exposure, right? Because it's not only reading the literature and everything, but just oh, seeing, yes. you know, what it actually means to you know be in the responsibility of executing yes, this yes, and, yes. And, and implementing yeah. it. Yes, and and it's nothing, you know, like listening to you know what the person in the business has to share with you right um, mm -hmm. so it's quite a lot of you know learning from the, the industry uh, people in this course uh, wherever possible i will also take the students out on field trips uh, mm -hmm. for example this past semester uh, we had uh, um, the brand i don't know if you've heard of it uh, grand seiko uh, it's hmm. a luxury watch division of the Seiko Watch Corporation, and um, they're, they're running it as a, an autonomous, autonomous brand. Um, they opened a boutique in Singapore uh, recently, and, uh, and my class was invited down to the boutique, where we were very privileged to be uh, hosted, you know, almost like VIPs. They, they closed off the entire store for two hours for us. Oh, wow. Um, 
and they had champagne, they had uh, the canapes, and uh, and they had um, their store boutique manager and also the brand uh, regional manager uh, explaining you know all about the brand uh, to my students. And my students had a chance to uh, to to um, you know to handle some of the the luxury watches uh, by Grand Seiko. Um, yeah, so there was a visit to this boutique. We also had a chance to visit um, uh, the Amalfi perfume boutique, um, the one that has you know four thousand uh, dollars perfume. Four thousand dollars is the cheapest. So, uh, <laughs> so that was a high, highly sens sensory experience. Uh, mm. yeah, to uh, experience the different fragrances. Um, there was also last semester, there was also a trip to the MS exhibition. They had uh, a CSR conference uh, where my students were invited as well. Uh, on a smaller scale, um, you know, the fashion designer that, that I invited, uh, the night before he came, uh, he was holding his fashion show. So he invited me and uh, a couple of students uh, to, to attend the fashion show. So, mm -hmm. so the class is very experiential, very immersive. Um, how do I uh, grade the students or, or uh, assess the students? Uh, it was also, uh, it's also been through uh, an immersive project. So each semester I would have a, a brand coming in to, um, to issue a challenge to the class. Uh, it would be a real life challenge. The students would have to sign a non-disclosure agreement, uh, each of them. Um, uh, so, so the brand can come in and uh, provide some, you know, rather detailed information. Yeah, information relating to a particular marketing challenge that the brand is experiencing. And uh, the assignment for the class would be to carry out the research uh, over a few weeks and then uh, formulate a strategy to address the problem that has been uh, issued to them and then at the end of it uh, to, to present a proposal. Uh, that sounds fantastic because it's like, and it's typically how it would work, right? It's like you're in this yes. position and yes. then you have the challenge and then you have to come up with a solution. and yes. and. Yes. Yeah, must be must be super rewarding for the students to work on these tasks. Yes, so yeah, I think uh, yeah. Again, I'm I'm glad uh, to have had the support of uh, all these industry partners, uh, and my goal is to uh, prepare the students for real world challenges. Right, so mm. um, so the class is highly applied. Uh, we we are talking about real life. We are always discussing real life companies issues you know uh, everything that we've just talked about you know the omni-channel problems uh, problems mm. with regards to uh, communications uh, with regards to uh, you know um, managing expectations uh, for sustainability and so on uh, these are problems that we will talk about in class um, yeah and and, and the outcome of the discussion is always, you know, some uh, 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 recommended actions, right? Um, 
So today we would conclude that you know there are some uh, strategy imperatives for the companies to pursue to pay attention mm. to, uh, and then uh, some things that uh, could be done uh, could be done better off, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So um, so 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 it's also action oriented. Yeah. So yeah, and this leads me to the other question, which I. Which I yeah, guess from uh, from what? those from those tasks, yes. you probably have some very interesting yes. insights on you know what recommendations. Uh, yes, uh, yeah, I, 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 you know that there's actually a lot of recommendations, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think uh, I will just name a few. Right. Um, uh, first of all, I think going back to the the way uh, we we define luxury brands, right? Uh, it, it, the focus should be on the brand rather than the product, uh, which means that the company needs to have a very, uh, very clear-minded uh, marketing uh, uh, objective and a very clear vision for the brand. And they need to invest resources into building up the brand equity. Hmm. And, and knowing that you know the 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 status of the brand in the market, right? The position of the brand in the market is very sticky. Right? Um, uh, you have to invest a lot more to improve your position in the market. Hmm. So if you're a mid-tier brand, you've got to work a lot harder, right, on the marketing side, uh, in order to to move up the ladder. And and the way to do it is uh, you know to focus on the brand equity, uh, not the sales volume, like not market mm. share. And that's actually difficult. Which correct me because if I'm wrong, but this gives a different temporal dimension, right? Because you might actually do an investment now that might reflect later, right? Exactly. And then you still have to control for the sales, right? So it's a bad interesting balancing act. Yes, yes. I mean, to, to, to expand your sales, to grow your market share, it's a lot easier, right? Mm. Uh, easily uh, offer a lot of discounts, right? You, should, you could uh, offer very attractive trade margins, and then uh, you could also uh, expand your distribution channels, right? sell your products through all kinds of distribution channels, uh, and your sales volume will go up. But, um, but eventually, your your brand equity might get affected because hmm. of all the problems that uh, are associated with um, the different channels and yeah, it kind of like dilutes products. the meaning, right? Yes, and the way consumers uh, interpret you know uh, your price your pricing practices, uh, the more discounts you give, the the less valuable. Uh, your product is going to be perceived to be. Right? Hmm. Uh, so, so, um, so one of the first recommendations that I have for luxury brands is you know focus on the marketing. Right? Uh, when you have a strong brand, the sales will come. Hmm. The market share will come. You will be rewarded eventually uh, because of how sticky the brand position is uh, in the market right? if you have mm. a weak brand you know uh, 
the more you try to pursue the sales, uh, the, the, the worse it gets for you. Um, the, the, the second recommendation is, um, you know, in, in order to, they're all related, in order to uh, do effective marketing, uh, you've got to have a very deep and rich consumer insight. You have to understand mm. the market well. You have to understand uh, the mindset, the mentality, the, you know, the, the attitude, the, the values that the consumers hold and how these things would change uh, sometimes very quickly over time. Uh, a, a lot of the luxury brands are very old brand. Uh, they've been around for 100, 200 years, right? And, um, and traditionally, they've been selling to a very mature audience, right? But, uh, uh, but the new generation of consumers, uh, you're talking about, you know, the young millennials and the Gen Z, they are very different in terms of their attitude, right? in terms of what their expectations are. Uh, so in order to make sure that the brand has a future, because um, if you're selling to people who are 40 and above today, right? <laughs> 10 years later, right? Your clientele is going to be 50 and above. Right? Uh, another 10 years, they'll be 60 and above. Uh, if you do not secure a following among the young consumers, uh, within 30 years, uh, your brand will be dead. Right? Hmm. So, uh, so you've got to also invest resources into uh, doing the market research and gaining the consumer insight and to be, you know, very uh, always oriented towards the market, uh, not the product or the technology that your company is known for. So I'm sure everyone in the audience would know the term marketing myopia, right? Hmm. After a while, you know, as your company does well, you'd be so obsessed about your own product, right? Your own uh, product heritage. Uh, and you think that you are the best in class uh, for that product category. Uh, that, that's it, right? Who you are making the product for. Yeah, and um, and that's the start of uh, trouble for your company. Uh, so uh, so to be very always in tune um, with the market, uh, I think that's that's extremely important. Mm. Uh, third and last uh, recommendation uh, for tonight. Uh, I, I mm -hmm. have a lot more, uh, but uh, the last one for tonight would be. Uh, you know, to to move a little faster, uh, uh, I think it's safe to say that the luxury sector, uh, compared to many other industries, including obviously fast-moving consumer goods, beauty, you know, consumer electronics, uh, uh, you know, you name it, all, all the other sectors, even pharma, uh, pharmaceuticals and so on and so forth, the luxury sector, the way things are done, uh, tends to be a lot slower. Mm. And when I say slow, I do mean very slow. Very slow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talk yeah. about um, e-commerce, right? Uh, 
uh, had it not for COVID, uh, uh, I can bet uh, many luxury companies uh, are still uh, operating their, their retailing in the, in the traditional mm -hmm. manner uh, without investing anything in the, the retailing uh, uh, e-commerce side of things. Uh, it's also because of you know the high human touch factor that we discussed earlier because it's such an important aspect of their customer experience, right? So uh, they are reluctant to do anything digital as far as retailing is concerned. Uh, hmm. But if you did the research and understood the younger generation consumers and how the younger generation shop, right? How uh, how 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 they not just shop but also gather information. Uh, how they do their their search. Uh, how they learn about brands and how they uh, understand you know uh, the 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 stories behind your brand. Uh, you would know how important uh, the digital side of things are. Um, hmm. but it, it took something as big as COVID to actually change <laughs> to push uh, the transition uh, right yeah um, yeah and it's not just digitalization but you know almost everything that luxury companies do um, because it's very usually very headquartered centered uh, a lot of the decisions and a lot of the, the processes are all handled at the HQ level, right? So, um, so typically the subsidiaries and the uh, the individual country offices uh, are, are not quite empowered to you know quickly change things, right? So mm. everything has to be referred out to the headquarters, and it takes a long time for decisions to be made. Um, yeah, and. Uh, um, and I think this is something that uh, a lot of the luxury companies need to think about. Uh, it's not just the marketing, it's also the organizational structure, right? how, mm. they, how they make sure that uh, the, the setup in each market is responsive enough for changes mm. in that market and can undertake, you know, reasonable decisions uh, to run things effectively in their respective markets. Um, and I think this, this links very nicely with uh, one of your other recommendations, which is, you know, like tuning in with the new generations, right? Uh, when we look at the new generations, which are many, you know, digitally natives and stuff like that, that are used to having things quicker, you know, so you know, in a way, it's kind of like the intersection of these two two ideas that you're saying that actually you know makes makes a long term sense, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, at, at the very least, you know, if they cannot have uh, complete decentralization uh, mm -hmm. at the country level, um, they, they they could do a lot more at the regional level. And I think some mm -hmm. of the brands have uh, made a lot of progress, right? Uh, until recently, until you know a few years ago, uh, many brands are just you know it's just the headquarters, uh, in Switzerland or France or wherever mm. the headquarters are in the shops. Uh, 
today we do see many brands, especially those that have uh, presence in uh, heavy presence in the APEC region. Uh, they have set up uh, APEC headquarters uh, in Singapore, headed by uh, a very you know important executive. Right, usually that person will be holding a title of president or CEO for Asia Pacific region, um, and at least you know at the regional level, uh, you know there is decision making power. Right, and things can go faster at the regional level. Yeah, um, that makes uh, absolute sense, uh, and I think it's a it's a, a very very good recommendation as well. Um, well, Luis, these these have been some very very nice uh, recommendations, uh, and I think our listeners are going to to enjoy quite a lot. Uh, um, you know, just seeing them in their practices as well. I know that some of the the the, the listeners of the, this podcast I, are starting to work in luxury brands or have an interest in. So I'm sure that this is going to be a very very nice uh, compass for them. Not, not only like the recommendations, but everything that we have discussed today. So I think uh, just as a little reminder for our audience. Uh, please go and check uh, Louis' website. Uh, if you have any questions, just get in touch with, with him or with me. Um, and yeah, Louis, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Oh, uh, yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, uh, first of all, a real pleasure seeing you uh, on screen again. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's a virtual meeting. Uh, and, and also uh, being on your show, it's a uh, it's a big honor to be uh, a guest on your show. Uh, and I hope that uh, what I've shared uh, has been useful to your audience. And, um, and, and this, is, uh, this has been a very enjoyable conversation. Uh, yeah, and, and I hope that uh, yeah, I have added some value and um, hopefully uh, there is some learning that took place. Uh, once again, um, yeah, your listeners are most welcome to contact me uh, if there are any questions or you just want to share ideas or yeah, to uh, initiate any collaborations. Uh, I'll be very happy to uh, to, to 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 receive uh, emails. Thank you so much, Luis. Please do get in touch if you have questions. And uh, yeah, thank you so much again really a pleasure and i'm sure that there is going to be at some point a second version of this podcast because we just touched the surface and there's so much more to talk (laughs) thank you so much Luis. yeah thank you thank you carlos